words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight. For thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Those words might sound familiar to you. They were written by poet Henry Wordsworth Longfellow in 1863 in the midst of the American Civil War, and later set to music and sung as a carol called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. How many of you know that one? It's a lesser known carol. Yeah. We all have our favorite Christmas carols, don't we? There are many, and one of the people that I'm most grateful for was my public high school choir director, Mr. Jeffrey Skaggs, who carried on a tradition of annually presenting what was called the Feast of Carols at Huron High School that proclaimed the gospel in Christmas carols every year. I'm not an old man, but I think that when I am an old man, I'll never cease to hear the tenor line of, Oh, come all ye faithful, because it was just drilled into us year after year, joyfully. Part of the genius of Christmas carols is that they capture and invite the singer in, right? They're more than any theological treatise or, or any explanation or any sermon that you could hear because they bring us into the story, the story which is our story, and if is not your story, can be your story, being united to Jesus in peace on earth, goodwill towards men. When we sing silent nights at the end of this service and light candles, contrasting with the darkness that's around us, it's not just an image it's not just a vision of warmth, but it's an experience that touches our hearts and reflects the very real experience of what Jesus did in the shadow of death. That contrast of light in the darkness, of hope in the midst of despair. The church calls these experiences sacramentals. Yes, the church has a word for that, as it usually does. Sacramentals are different than sacraments in that they're not particular means of grace, like baptism or Holy Communion, and yet they give us insight into God's grace in a special way, uniting physical things with spiritual realities. And they're powerful, not because they mimic the Gospel, but because they participate in it, right? There's, there's a difference, right? Something that mimics is a poor shadow of it. Something that participates in the gospel is something that brings a new vantage point or a new aspect to a historical old truth. That first Christmas when God dwelt with mankind in the man of Jesus Christ. And God, the light of the world, came down in the midst of that cold, dark night into a desolate world with hope. God, goodness himself, descended in the midst of wickedness as a baby to help his helpless creation. Real Christmas carols proclaim and participate 
and that truth inviting us into the story. Take again that song, that carol, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It's a rather new one as carols go. Originally a poem titled Christmas Bells, as I mentioned, Longfellow wrote it in the midst of the Civil War, a very dark time in this nation. The United States was plunged into that darkness. Hundreds and thousands of America's young men were being killed and maimed by the most deadly war in American history. And that's actually evidenced in a verse of the poem itself, which you might not be familiar with. It goes like this. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth goodwill to men. Personally, Longfellow, the poet, was also wrestling with a darkness all of his own, a coldness, as he had lost his wife to an accidental fire the year before, and despair as his son had just been severely wounded at the Battle of Mine Run. We see Longfellow as widower and father grieving, questioning God, and questioning the joy of Christmas fully on display in this poem that became a carol. You probably have heard this stanza, And in despair I held my head, There is no peace on earth, I said, For hate is strong and mocks the song Of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Longfellow's trial and struggle with despair is real and personal. But he was expressing this because he was expressing something felt by all human beings at some time. That suffering brings despair to many. And, you know, despair is more than depression. A lot of times people confuse those two words. Depression is a, is a, is a, um, a physiological, chemical thing in the brain. Despair has something to do with choice. Choosing against hope is the technical definition of despair. It's a choice against hope, being beyond hope, thinking that you're beyond salvation, that you're beyond redemption. It's choosing to believe that the power of darkness is greater than the power of light. The number of those despairing keep rising, sadly, in this country. According to the Brookings Institute in a study recently published entitled America's Crisis of Despair, we read this, Prior to COVID-19, an average of 70,000 Americans died annually due to deaths of despair. 70,000. Suicides, overdoses, alcohol-related illnesses, and the rate of increase is remarkable as it just keeps going up and up. Well, just under 20,000 people died of overdoses in 2010, Almost 75,000 died in 2017. Do you realize the increase that that is? Overdoses kill more Americans, the study goes on to say, than suicides, motor vehicle accidents, firearms, and homicides. Overdose is now a key contributor to the drop in American life expectancy, showing up statistically. The report summarizes, despair in our society is a barrier to reviving our labor markets and productivity, jeopardizing our well-being 
health and longevity and affects our politics. But of course, we know beyond that, beyond those broad reaches of this effect, that it destroys families and tragically ends lives too early. What makes the inhabitants of the wealthiest nation on earth in history despair so? Well, to each person, the cause of sorrow is different. A loss of purpose, the questioning of one's significance. It can come from many things. The loss of health, autonomy, power, wealth, a person. The reasons are many, but the root is common to all humans at all times. And this might surprise you. The root of despair is idolatry. Idolatry. Now, you might be thinking, well, no one goes around bowing down to idols anymore, Father Sean. What are you talking about? Not true. There are still some in the world, but not many. And you'd be right. But how many bow down to their priorities? How many enthrone money or power, autonomy, health, a relationship, a person in place of God? And you know what? While that's not an item created with human hands, it is a God fashioned of the mind and the heart. And what about Longfellow? What does he see in that one stanza as bigger than God? He sees hate and loss, particularly the hate and loss that he's going through in that deep part of the poem. It would be wrong, of course, to berate someone who's suffering in despair. That's not what we should be about. However, the truth is, is the only way out of despair. And hope is the only way beyond it. Giving someone purpose and significance again in their own mind. The only person that can bring that hope and purpose beyond all things so important and integral as hope is God. And the only relationship that can give a persisting, enduring hope through all the things that assault us through life is Jesus. The only way to reach out to God is to turn away from things that we've put in His place. The only way to fill the throne with Christ is to shove the idol that we've put on the throne off His throne. Without God's intervention, the world and every human being's life is despair. That's the truth. There is no hope outside of God. And of course, as we turn away from God as a people, we're going to see that more and more in our society. For there's but false hope. There's but idols when they're put in place of God. God's personal intervention in our life follows His objective intervention in the world on that first Christmas. That is, His coming to us and to our hearts personally comes after he came to the world back in Bethlehem in the first century. The Gospel writer St. Luke was no stranger to darkness and despair. The Christmas story today, recorded by St. Luke and told today in the readings, is a story of darkness and despair at the beginning, 
It's easy to miss it because we're so familiar with the passage. But how does Luke begin today's reading? I invite you to take a look with me at it. It's familiar to you, I know. But look at it anyway, if you would. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all in the world should be registered. That's a story of despair and hopelessness, dear friends. Who was Caesar Augustus? Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, adopted son of Julius Caesar, who used the title Divi Filius. But if you know Latin, means son of God, to refer to himself. Brute evil ruled the known world in Jesus' day. And the Roman tyrant, claiming to be God's son, was just the latest version of that darkness, going all the way back to Pharaoh. After Julius Caesar's murder, Augustus, otherwise known as Octavian, had fought a civil war and triumphed in one of the bloodiest battles yet fought in Rome's civil war. He had clawed his way to the top and really believed himself to be, above all other men, the Divi Filius, the Son of God. And so when he decreed that a census should go out, that was a proclamation of his power as Son of God. And it's no coincidence that St. Luke begins this passage that way. The political darkness was real and hung over thousands, dictating their hardship, including Mary and Joseph. I mean, again, we take it for granted, but think about this. Mary, very pregnant at this point, is forced to travel miles from her home to this town. In verse 8, Luke introduces us to the shepherds, literally in the dark. Right? Literally in the dark. As I'm sure you've heard, the shepherds were not thought much of. But everything's about to change in those shepherds' lives. Look at verses 9 through 11. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Again, it's not coincidence that the angel of the Lord appears in darkness, but then with great light and the glory of God shining around him. The night is pierced by the glory of God, a tremendous light and accompanied by a divine decree. Not a decree from Caesar, but a decree from God himself. God's decree stands in stark contrast to that of Caesar Augustus. Luke's gospel is making the point here that Augustus is a pretender. He's not the prince of peace. Pax Romana is not real peace. It's brute force. But... The Son of God, the person born in that manger, will bring real peace on earth and glad tidings and goodwill to men. Augustus is but an idol. Jesus is the real thing. You see, it's the one who lies in the manger 
who is truly the anointed king. Jesus is the light in the midst of the darkness. And how do the shepherds respond? Well, let's look. What do they do? Verse 15, And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They choose hope and light in the midst of darkness. They choose to investigate. They want to get out of the darkness, out of the cold, out of the despair. They choose real hope secured in the very person of God. Admittedly, it's a lot easier to see hope and joy when angels are speaking to you out of the heavens, right? And a heavenly host appears. But biblical Christianity doesn't promise an immediate end to sin and sorrow. And biblical Christianity and the coming of Jesus, while it's changed everything, doesn't mean that all of your problems are going to go away. I know some of you have heard that from evangelists and from preachers from time to time. I think they're well-meaning, but it's an oversimplification. Sorrow still remains, but hope is greater. And you have a choice to embrace despair or to embrace God. That first Christmas was not the end of the Roman Empire. It was not the end of political pretenders. Oh, gosh, no. False pieces, wars, tragedies, and darkness still goes on. If you read the New Testament, you see that. That's not surprising to the apostles. That's not surprising to Jesus himself. For goodness sake, he ends up on a cross. But Jesus' birth was the beginning of the end of darkness' reign. The beginning of the end of sinful fallenness and evil itself. Some 2,000 plus years have passed since Jesus' birth. And like Wordsworth, we might look around and see and feel darkness yet. We might look in our own lives and see despair. We see it too often. Sometimes it seems to grow unchecked. Sometimes it seems that no matter what we do, we can't just cheer ourselves up. Well, that's because the truth and the joy is not in us unless we have God. But God is with us in the darkness, dear friends. And God can bring you hope in the midst of despair. But it's our job, like the shepherds, to run to the source of hope. And one day, all things will be submitted to him as king. Well, let's finish Longfellow's verse. This is the last verse. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. God has come to earth, my friend, in the person of Jesus Christ. God is present in his people, in the church. God remains with us. He's here tonight. And he's with each one of you that walks with him throughout your days. 
Isaiah's prophecy about the Savior is true and continues to come to fullness. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His government and peace is increasing. It might not seem like it, but it's increasing year by year across the world as more come under his sway. His peace and righteousness will win in the end, will reign eternally. Wordsworth did not see the fullness of peace on earth in his time. We may not either in our time. But as Wordsworth wrote that final line, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, good will to men. So we too can cling to that hope in the person of Jesus. The bells still ring. And one day, God, who came as a baby, will return in his fullness of glory. And if it were not so, evil would win. Both on a cosmic level and on a personal level. So you see, despair grows when we pull away from God. Despair grows when we ignore God's intervention in our lives as a world and as people, suffering without purpose or hope is meaningless. The world has that right. But what the world has wrong is that that's not the full story. For God has given us hope and promise that we might be fulfilled by him, known as Emmanuel, God with us. This Christmas... I ask you, do you have God with you? I don't mean do you believe in God, although that's important. But I ask you, something more important, do you have God's light shining in your personal darkness? Do you know that he's there to refresh you day by day, to give you purpose, to give meaning in your life, even when the most important things are yanked from it? Knowing the Lord Jesus means personally believing in Him. Knowing the Lord Jesus means daily surrendering your life to Him through repentance and baptism and living as one of His joyful followers. You see, Jesus comes in three ways. He came as the light of the world, as a babe in the night in Bethlehem. That's the first way. He will come again to bring eternal peace and restore all things at the end of time. That's the second way. But he also comes to each of us personally. Each of us individually. As St. Paul wrote to Titus, God appeared in loving kindness to save, to wash and renew us, to pour eternal life into us, beginning here and now, not when we die. Every Christmas, Jesus comes again offering himself as light and life to every person on earth, from the youngest child to the calloused old man or woman. If you've already received him in the washing of baptism, I invite you to be renewed and refreshed. Holy Communion, or the Mass, is a weekly altar call. Oh yes, it's true, we liturgical Christians have altar calls. Every week we come to the altar to either receive Jesus or not. Don't make excuses. 
Don't be distracted. Go to Mass. Go to Him. He loves you. He wants to eat with you. He wants you to be with Him and come to Him tonight. Holy Communion is a weekly Christmas, if you will. It's a time where we're guaranteed at least once a week that we can meet the Lord of creation Himself, the God of hope and joy. If you're struggling with darkness and despair, the good news is that you don't need to struggle alone and you don't need to despair. Hope is here in Jesus and can be with you. Hope can be with you in every challenge that you go through in life. If you've never been baptized or were baptized but have never asked God to be born in you personally, I invite you to do that tonight. Sometimes churches invite people to come forward in an altar call. But tonight, I invite you to stay in your seats. For the Lord comes to you just as he came to us at Christmas. On Christmas, God comes to you. He wants you to be part of him. He wants to walk with you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to refresh and renew you. He wants to pour life into you for the things that he's called you to do. And so, I invite you to pray with me. Almighty Father, I confess that I've sinned against you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I am truly sorry and humbly repent. Thank you for forgiving my sins through the death of your Son, Jesus. I turn to you and give you my life. Fill and strengthen me with your Holy Spirit to love you, to follow Jesus as my Lord in the fellowship of his church, and to become more like him each day. Amen. That prayer, if you've prayed it for the first time tonight, is the beginning of a lifetime of following Jesus. If it was your first time praying that, know that I rejoice with you. And more importantly, the hosts of heaven rejoice with you as they rejoiced in Luke chapter 2. But perhaps you already know the joy of that prayer, but need to be redirected. Maybe you've just fallen away. Perhaps you've just gotten distracted and wrapped up in the despair of this world. In that case, I invite you to pray the following prayer with me. And honestly, we can all pray this prayer. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills, that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated unto you. And then use us, we pray, as you will, and always to your glory and the welfare of your people, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear people of God, Merry Christmas. Blessed Incarnation. God comes to you with light and life to bring you joy. Now join the shepherds and don't neglect to run to him. Not just tonight, but every 
week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.